Our Old Testament reading is a reading from the book of 2 Samuel. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 to 16. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Romans. Um, Romans 16, 25 through 27. This is the benediction at the end of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the gospel of Christ. The Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to Christ our Savior. Starting at the, ver at tw the 26th verse. In the sixth month, <clears throat> the angel Gabriel was sent out from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to Christ our Lord. Good to see everybody. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. Um, this is a great morning because it's uh, Christmas Eve, as, as Neil already announced to us. Um, if, you're like, uh, if you're like me, um, this might be uh, a stressful week for you. I know that each of us are coming from different places. Some of us are coming here from far away. Um, some of us are coming here from being a place of um, homesickness, anticipation, uh, excitement, weariness, whatever the case might be. And so I pray that wherever you are this morning, that God can meet you in this place. Um, as we enter into the final hours of preparing to celebrate Jesus' birth, uh, today we're looking at two uh, amazing texts that are paired perfectly together. Um, one is uh, this promise from 2 Samuel 7, uh, and one is the angel's announcement to Mary. And so um, we, we, we follow this thing called the lectionary, which is this like set of prescribed readings or suggested readings. And so um, this is uh, what they call in culinary arts a perfect pairing, right, of two things that go really well together. And so one of my favorite things to do when I teach the Bible is to see how the Old Testament influences the New. And so this is a great opportunity to do that. Specifically, we're going to see in this text the amazing fulfillment of God's promise to provide both a king and a temple and the surprising solution he has for that. <clears throat> so he, uh, God fulfills this promise in a way that nobody really expected. Um, and it seems to me that we as people sometimes, we don't always know exactly what to pray for, and we're not always ready for how God's going to answer our prayers. Sometimes he answer, answers our prayers in an unexpected, surprising way, for big or for little things. Um, and it reminded me this week of, um, there's this famous quote that's often attributed, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it's this famous quote that's attributed to Henry Ford, the man who made the first um, car. And he said that when he had this idea to make, to make a car, he said that he knew he couldn't have asked anybody else, any of his customers, what they were looking for, because no one else could have imagined such a, such a contraption. Um, he said, if I had asked people, what are you looking for? They would have said, I just need a faster horse. Okay? So instead of, instead of like imagining a new car, they would have said, just give me a horse that I guess is like better behaved and faster. Okay? And I think this is so true with us as well, is that we just kind of think, we think that we need just kind of more of the same, maybe just a little bit better than what we already are, are going through. And God's saying, no, no, I've got something better than you can ask or imagine coming for you. So in the same way, um, God's people in the Old Testament, they didn't know their deepest needs. And honestly, sometimes we don't either, right? And so none of us could have predicted how God was going to fulfill these promises of a temple and a king. 
So, um, like I said, today's theme is drawing on God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. The promise of a temple and the promise of a king. God promises a king who will rule on his behalf, guiding and protecting his people faithfully. And he also promises a temple, a place where God's people could meet him, could worship him, and God could dwell among them. But how is he going to do this? So um, this is the two of the major themes of the Bible we'll get to trace this morning. So we're going to read um, the passage again from 2 Samuel 7, but we'll start at verse 8 this time. <clears throat> it says, Now therefore, this is Nathan talking to David, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from pasture, from following sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make, you, I'll make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make for you a house. When your days are fulfilled, when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts. Lord, as we prayed before, we ask that you would just uh, cleanse our hearts, make us aware to to you and your spirit. I pray that you would open um, your word to us this morning, open the eyes of our hearts that we can know your great promises for us and help us to see how this applies um, to all of creation, but also to each of us this morning. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, this is a crucial passage in the Old Testament. You could write a whole book on how God fulfills his promises in this passage, and some people have. Um, and when I was in seminary, one of the books was called A House for My Name, a Biblical Theology of the Old Testament, A House for My Name. So, like I said, this is a perfect um, example of a time that the lectionary pairs two passages together, and they inform each other. So, <clears throat> again, so this is God's promise to David paired with um, the angel's announcement to Mary. Um, it's God's promise to provide for his people both a temple and a king. So, first, let's talk about this promise of a king. Um, let's ask ourselves, do you think, do you feel like God even intended for Israel to have a king? Knowing the whole background of the story, it seems like maybe he was kind of hesitant. Because if you go back and read in 1 Samuel, um, it seems like God is pretty, hold on a second, I can't really see my notes, there we go. It seems like God is a little bit hesitant to, to, um, to give a king. Um, you remember everyone calls out for a king. They say, oh, like all the Israelites, like, oh, all our neighbors have kings. We want one too, right? And, the, and then the, the priests and the prophets say, kings get greedy. They're going to ask you to serve in the military. They're going to they're gonna impose taxes on you. Not to mention, God's already your king. You don't need a human king. But the people said, no, no, we want a king just like everybody else. And as usual, we see that God's people, they don't want to be a light to the nations. They'd rather borrow light from other people, other nations, right? They don't want to just be the, the one nation that's different. They'd rather just kind of follow the path of the other nations around them. But in thinking about a king, we also know that God is a God of justice and mercy. And God doesn't want anarchy and chaos for his people. So you could think, 
Maybe he really could provide a king who's able to lead the people to truly serve God and love others. Is such a person possible? Is it possible for God to appoint a true king that would lead his people to serve God and love others? And then we can turn the question, the same question I asked earlier, back on ourselves. Um, do we even want someone to rule over us? Because it seems to me like often we would rather do our own thing as well. The story of the Bible is of God's people rebelling against them over and over again. This is the story of sin, of us choosing our own way rather than listening to God. And we see this in ourselves and in the whole story of the Bible and all the prophets and the old stories and the Psalms is people rebelling against God and choosing their own way. And we've seen the result of this. It's chaos and death. Because in such a place where everyone thinks that they're their own king, that's not a kingdom, is it? That's anarchy, right? But that's what we have today in our world. And so that's why during Advent, we've been praying, God, we ask you to, you to come now. Bring your kingdom here. Come return and bring your kingdom in its fullness. During Advent, we sing this song, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it has this lesser-known verse that I think emphasizes this well. It says, O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad divisions cease, and be thyself our king of peace. We're asking God to come and be our true king, the one who can actually unite us so we won't be divided anymore. So um, we need this true king to come, and the Israelites didn't know it, but they needed one as well. So back to our story, um, God does give them a king. He grants them their wish, as he often does. Um, he gives them King Saul. And how does King Saul, Saul do? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you remember the story? Thumbs down, right? Um, again, God was right in his, in his prediction. Um, so, they get, uh, so they get King Saul. King Saul blows it. And then they do get a good king, King David. David is a man for God's own heart. And he's a good man, but he's not perfect. It makes some terrible mistakes. Um, but in all of his mistakes, he is true. He is quick to turn back and repent to the Lord, which is a good thing. But he still isn't perfect, and he still ends up with a mixed record, doesn't he? So he, he, they still need this promised perfect king. King David ends up being very, very rich. He's got a lot of resources. And the first thing he does, which you might do as well, is he, bigs for, he builds a giant house for himself. And it's big and beautiful, and it's made of cedar, which is apparently really nice. I guess it smells good. And it's a, this beautiful house, and he wakes up one morning, and he's like, oh my goodness, I have this huge house, and God's still living in a tent, like in our passage today. So the tent he's talking about, you might know the backstory of this, it's referring to what's, what they call the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was like this, um, this temple that could be like packed up and rolled up and carried around. So, but finally, the Israelites come to the land where God settles them. And David builds a house, and God stays in a tent. And then he realizes, oh, I need to, um, to build a place for, for God as well. Um, he, his, his idea is, is actually not, like, it's actually a pretty good idea, is to have a place where God can dwell among the people, and the people can encounter God and worship him there. So, um, so then God answers his, answers his question, but God uses like kind of like a pun or a double meaning. So it makes it kind of confusing. So we're going to come back to it. But before we do, let's ask ourselves again another rhetorical question. Um, did God ever intend to have a temple built for him? You look, look at the passage, and he also seems uh, not very keen, right? He, doesn't seem, he, doesn't seem, he seems a little bit hesitant. And we can imagine God's hesitant for the same reasons. Because temples can become idols, places that 
Uh, it's a house where pe- people end up worshiping the house itself instead of going to the house to worship their creator, God. And once the temple becomes an idol, it's not long before it becomes a ruin because, uh, because once their priorities get out of whack, then other nations can come in and conquer them. So um, why bother building this whole thing at all? But at the same time, we can think, doesn't God want to dwell among his people? Doesn't he want to provide a place where he can live with his people and his people can really encounter him, encounter his true presence and worship him? And doesn't he want a place that uh, will appropriately display his glory to, to the world? So is a temple the right thing in mind or does God have something else coming? So back to God's answer, this, is this confusing pun. Um, and I love when God uses a pun like this, I and mean, when he, like, he's like joking with people, because you're like, God's got a sense of humor. So this is what he says uh, in Second uh, Samuel verse, um, 7, verse 11. He says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So David says, I want to make the Lord a house. And he's like, no way, I'm making you a house. Okay? Then he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God says he's going to build a house for David. But it gets confusing here, like I said, because God has like this like double meaning going on. He says, I'll build a house for your name. And what's he referring to? Do you think it's referring to an actual house or a temple or something else? It's referring to this, like, this, this uh, family line. It's this like dynasty. Um, he's using the word house in the sense of like a family line or a dynasty. Because right after this, God says, I will establish his kingdom. Okay? But this isn't an ordinary king because he says he's going to establish his kingdom forever. And this is one of the great promises of the Old Testament, an important like key passage of the Old Testament. So here we see the beginnings of God's wisdom in fulfilling his promise. Because the people thought they needed an earthly king. They thought they needed a man to rule them. And as we talked about at the beginning, similar to the people during Henry Ford's day, they were just looking for a faster horse. Are you following me? Um, They didn't realize that God had the perfect plan to to combine these two roles into one, the perfect temple where his glory is displayed and the perfect person to rule them and guide them into loving God and each other. In the same way, just we can pause for a second and turn back on ourselves. I wonder if we're open to, um, to God answering our prayers in unexpected ways as well. When we pray something, are we, do we already have God's answer like set in our mind? Or are we open to hearing how God might be answering our, our prayers in a slightly different manner than what we've been praying for? I've been uh, touched by this idea recently as I think about some things in my own life and going, back, going on back home with my family in America. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, God, like, how are you using this to shape me more into your image? This isn't exactly how I thought things were going to go, but I've been praying that you would, that you would grow in me, that you would grow me into more in the Christ image. Okay, how is he using these situations to guide me more into his image? So the people, they thought they needed a king. And is it possible to have a person rule on God's behalf to bring about justice, mercy, and compassion? God's like core identity. Similarly, they thought they needed a temple. Is it possible for a building to fully display God's glory? I think you know where I'm going with this. In Jesus, both these things are perfectly, super super abundantly accomplished. Because Jesus is the good king after God's own heart, who can really rule on God's behalf. 
He seeks out the outsider. He's proclaiming, proclaiming and living out truth, faithfulness to God. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of God's promise to David that God would establish the king's reign forever. And um, encourage us this morning to draw near to you no matter where we're coming from, whether we're excited or weary <clears throat> or um, jet lagged, wherever we are, we pray that you would come meet us this morning. Meet us as we pray together, as you break bread together. Um, meet us in your word, Lord. Thank you so much for coming for us as a human. Thank you for entering into our mess to save us. I pray that as we consider that, that your full glory be more revealed to us. We pray this all in your Son, whom you sent for us, name, Jesus.